Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Critical Conversations. It's an incredible continuation from last week, and I know you're just going to love it. The last episode began with celery juice and our thoughts on the newest yet very controversial food fad. If you've already listened, you know. Then it transitioned into the powers of intuitive eating, the importance of food quality, and some shocking information around thyroid health that really blew my mind, especially in correlation to celery juice. This is a public service announcement for you. It's not good for you to drink regularly in large amounts if you have thyroid issues. We explained why last week. This week, We're going much deeper and discussing so much more, from skin health to digestive issues to heartburn and stomach acid do's and don'ts, including some quick fixes and home remedies you can do right in your kitchen. Not to mention, we dive into the importance of stress in your everyday life, how you're handling it and how it's most likely wreaking havoc and potentially leading to complications in your long-term health. If you're new here or somehow missed last week's episode before finding this one, I highly recommend tuning into episode 22 before continuing on with this week. They're both packed full of amazing information you won't want to miss, but most importantly, you'll notice how after this intro, this week's conversation actually picks up right where we left off with the end of the last one. That being said, Jennifer Klotz, registered dietitian, holistic nutritionist, is truly brilliant when it comes to all things health and nutrition. I'm genuinely thrilled to have her on as a reoccurring co-host with me to dive deeper into these much-needed, I guess for lack of a better word, critical conversations. If you love what we're doing here, the best way you can give back to us for producing these episodes weekly for you is to take just a minute and subscribe if you haven't already within the app that you're listening in, and make your mark by leaving us a rating and review. Every one of you seriously matter when it comes to helping us spread the word about the information we're offering and the conversations we're having here. Thank you so much for showing up with us every week. Join us on Instagram at Critical Conversations or even in person at the upcoming She Days, possibly in a city near you. The next one is happening next week, May 18th on Saturday in Orange County, California. From there, it'll be Chicago, Nashville, and Los Angeles later this year. More information at shechangeseverything.com. I'll also link to it in the show notes to make it easier for you to find. All right, guys, that's enough from me. Now let's get this conversation started. Welcome to the Critical Conversations podcast. My name is Brianna Reesing, and I'm a critical care nurse with a true passion for preventative health. I've seen firsthand the impact that poor diet and lifestyle choices can have on us long-term. So with each episode, we'll dive deeper into the realities of our healthcare system, what preventative health truly entails, and what you can do about it. Okay. (laughs) So with that, because skin stuff, it's really an important topic because so many people suffer from it. I think it's really important to have the conversation of understanding to know that there are essential nutrients for the skin. And to share what those are just so that people have a working knowledge so that when you see someone putting up a post on Instagram that says, ooh, this food is high in vitamin A or things like that, that it sparks your interest because you were listening to this conversation and you understand why the, those nutrients that they're pointing out could actually have a big impact on how you feel 
um, and your long-term health. So nutrients that are really essential for skin healing are vitamin A, zinc, vitamin C, omega-3 fatty acids, biotin, sulfur, vitamin E, vitamin B5, selenium, silica, niacin, vitamin K2, and probiotics. These are really essential to the skin structure and to have it heal. They're all working in their own way to seal up the skin, to actually make it a strong surface, but to actually make it soft and actually retain water, but most importantly, to actually heal the structure of it. And what I really want to point out from that list is, is that celery juice actually meets every single one of those nutrients except for two, which again is why when someone starts drinking celery juice and they have a history of chronic skin issues, that they can see a dramatic shift in their skin health because you're they flooding are, your body with those vitamins, those nutrients. Yes, it's literally a flood. But I think the other point that I'm always going to keep bringing home in this conversation is that other fruits and vegetables are going to give you that flood if you cannot do celery juice and you and it's not working for you. There, you're not stuck. Like you're not stuck with chronic skin issues because celery juice didn't work for you. Right. You just have to find your you know, combination of foods that really start to turn on that healing process for you. Yeah, that's really powerful. And I think even more importantly, all of those things you just listed that the skin needs to heal and repair itself. Those are nutrients that you are consuming and your body is utilizing from the inside out. It's not expensive lotions and creams and tinctures and potions and different things that your skin needs to look better on the outside. And that's what drove me up the wall when I was covered in a rash and every doctor I went to was like, here's a steroid cream or here's a prescription, here's a pill, here's an antihistamine. It hurt me to the core that these doctors weren't looking for a deeper cause. And I would Mm -hmm. beg them to look for a deeper cause. And because I had waited about six months before I sought help and my rash was pretty significant at that point, their answer was always the same. This has been going on for more than three to six months. It's going to be a chronic issue. You're going to need steroids to control it, and your body's going to get used to those steroids, and you're going to need to increase the dosage in order to get it under control. And it's been going on for so long, you're probably never going to figure out the cause. (laughs) It's sad. It's really unfortunate that so many dermatologists and doctors deny any connection between diet and skin health. Yeah. It, it makes me so sad. Yeah. And it if you are really having an issue, it's so eye-opening because literally you're going and asking for help of something that can be painful. It can be debilitating. You know, personally, I know personally, and it's the, can, any way to help it besides rubbing something on it that may or may not work is completely denied. And the healing power of nutrition from the inside out is just undeniable. And it's really sad that the first line of information that people get is literally usually a deadpan statement that says diet doesn't affect anything. And it breaks my heart because it literally, it tamps a lot of people's hope and it, it prevents forward momentum in that category because doctor's word is taken so seriously, and it should be, don't get me wrong, but you also have to 
do your, your own, own research. Yeah, you have to fight for yourself. You have to be your own wellness warrior. Yeah. And if a doctor is not fighting for you, you need a new doctor. Yeah. It took they me, need to be fighting for you. It took me five doctors before I found one that sat down and listened to me and like actually yes. wanted to ask me questions on a deeper level. Because as a nurse, I see people at their worst, right? I'm in an emergency mm-hmm. room. People come mm-hmm. in the door. They're anxious, they're crying, they're yelling, they're in pain, they're suffering. What I try to remind people is we have never met you before today. We don't Mm -hmm. know what normal is for you. So if you can do your best at explaining that and showing us what has changed, we can help you on a bigger level. Mm Because I think in a way doctors have become jaded to a point of seeing you at your worst when you're coming in and asking for help. And they may or may not want to take the time to know what your normal is. They might mm-hmm. just see how you are presenting today as your normal, and they're going to help you maintain that, most likely with prescription medications because it's how they've been trained. But if you are in a situation like I was or Jen was where you were well and something shifted mm-hmm. And you, down to your core, know that something's off and you feel like you can solve it and get to it, just, you can. Like, (laughs) we're going to tell you before anyone else, (laughs) you absolutely can. It's just going to take work. And it's Mm going to take more than just celery juice in the morning every day. It's going to take changing your entire lifestyle and routine possibly changing your entire dietary habits Mm -hmm. throwing out a lot of the junk that you already have in your house and replacing it with better stuff along the way there's a Mm -hmm. lot of things you can do and that's what we're doing with every episode of this podcast and that's why we show up because it's personal for us and Mm -hmm. nothing is more important to us than to help you heal along the Mm -hmm. way as well Yes. Could not have said it better. Yeah. Because you can. And that's why this conversation is exciting because, again, celery juice could be make, doing wonders for you. And we are so excited that it is. But we want you to know, you know, things to look out for. But if celery juice isn't doing wonders for you, we don't want your hope to dim and we don't want you to stop trying because there is an abundance of foods that are going to help you heal and it's not just based on celery yeah absolutely you can make a delicious smoothie with fruits and vegetables every morning in your blender and it can take a few minutes versus pulling out a juicer that takes a lot of extra time to clean and set up and all of the above that you might actually get more benefit out of a juicer smoothie that's made with a variety of whole fruits and vegetables versus Mm -hmm. just one thing like there's so many options that you could do There really is. And that's the thing that one of the big compounds in celery that is creating such a powerful benefit for people is the fact that it does contain an abundance of antioxidants. And these antioxidants have been shown to be extremely anti-inflammatory. So again, with, with a lot of the conditions that it's being touted to help with, including, you know, Crohn's or Um, arthritis, or again, eczema, these are inflammatory conditions. And so when you are pouring something into the body that is literally designed to quench inflammation and to give you antioxidants that are going to quench free radicals, which simply put, that means it's calming down the body from things that are assaulting it, you are going to notice a dramatic benefit in your health. And so again, 
all fruits and vegetables have an abundance of antioxidants and anti-inflammatory compounds. So in general, if you have any chronic health issue that's inflammation-based, you must increase your consumption of fruits and vegetables. But you need to increase the consumption of fruits and vegetables for things that work for you. So for example, celery is also high FODMAP. And I many people need to be made aware of this. And what that means is, is that it contains compounds that for some people, especially if they have IBS going on, um, and typically with IBS, I'm always trying to tell people if you have IBS, that's just a band-aid diagnosis. You have something deeper, a root issue underneath that, whether or not it's SIBO, whether or not it's parasites, whether or not it's, you know, just an overabundance of a bad bacteria in your gut that's triggering, you know, the loose stools or the constipation. But the bottom line is that if you eat celery and you have something like this going on, because it is a high FODMAP food, this could end you up sitting on the toilet with explosive (laughs) diarrhea, which you hear posts about it of like, oh my gosh, this just made me ill. Or with the FODMAP thing, again, it can trigger the hives that people may have or the reactions. Because if you have the inability to break down a high FODMAP food, you are going to be miserable. And like we said before, if you're drinking celery juice and not eating celery, you're getting an extremely large amount all at once, which is why your body reacts stronger to the juice versus just eating a couple pieces. You might be totally fine eating a couple celery sticks with hummus, but if you drink a large glass of celery juice, you're running to the toilet. Yes, because in in low FODMAP eating, after you've done the elimination phase and you've brought back in the foods, you can try and eat eat two to three stalks of celery and it's considered low FODMAP. But again, like your point, but we're talking about 25 stalks of celery here. And in general, that might not work for most people because again, we always forget that there's other compounds that the body needs to break down besides all the positives. Right. And that's the deeper conversation of, uh, no, there's there's good and bad in every food. There is a yin and yang to every food. And it doesn't matter that you think it's the holy grail of something. It can cause detrimental effects to anyone depending on what its negative compounds are. So what do we do about that? <laughs> right. So with that being said, so you got to test it out. Test out the celery juice if it's working great. But as far as, you know, getting the anti-inflammatory benefit, you know, Try different fruits and vegetables, but just know if you're getting bloating or reactions from ones that you try, they're not your choice right now. But B, you need to work with someone that's going to help get to the root of why you are having digestive issues. So why are you bloating? Why are you having to run to the bathroom? Or why can you not go to the bathroom? There is root causes for all of that. And In celery juice's case, um, to break down why it can be helping with someone who has IBS or chronic stomach issues is that it naturally helps to increase the production of stomach acid. Interesting. And it does this because sodium actually helps to stimulate stomach acid and celery is a good source of sodium. Okay. And obviously the, uh, with the, the medical medium who touts this and talks about it, he's promoting what's called salt clusters, I believe he calls them. 
and that they're this undiscovered thing in science, which is why they're doing all these things. He believes they're part of celery, correct? Yes, he believes they're part of celery. And they could be there, right? They could be. But I think what's really important to focus on, because people get into fights about this, is that, okay, but sodium is there. The compound is there for helping to raise hydrochloric acid. And would it be cool that we do more research to see if there's things about celery we don't know about? Yeah, it would be. I think every fruit and vegetable should be discovered and researched like that, because I think there's lots of things that we don't know about so many of them. But I think the important thing to focus on is that, yeah, celery can help increase your hydrochloric acid production. And why does that matter to you? Well, simply put, research has associated low hydrochloric acid production with the gambit of most chronic diseases. You name a chronic disease and low stomach acid can be contributing to the cause of that. So just some simple examples, autoimmune disorders have been associated with it, such as lupus and rheumatoid arthritis. Colitis has been associated with it, gallbladder disease, eczema has definitely been correlated with low stomach acid production. I think 42 percent, I'll have to double check that, but I believe off the top of my head, 42 percent of all people studied for eczema come back with low hydrochloric acid production. And And isn't that, that's all linked to with low hydrochloric acid production, that's sitting in your stomach, which means the food in your stomach's not getting digested as well before it hits your intestine, which means your intestinal wall can't absorb the food and nutrition as well. So it's, again, it's all connected. So if you're depleted with something at the beginning of the digestion process, you're not going to be able to actually absorb the nutrients out of the food that you need down the digestion line as it goes through the small intestine, large intestine, correct? Yes, it is essential to long-term health. So you actually need hydrochloric acid to actually activate, so B12, phosphorus, magnesium, several vitamins and minerals. So if you have low hydrochloric acid, if, if for example, you're taking a B12 supplement, that's fine. But if you have low hydrochloric acid in general, even that B12 supplement is not being absorbed to its highest potential, and you could still be low in B12. And B12 technically, from what I've heard, shouldn't even be taken as like a pill form. It should be sublingual. So it dissolves into the mucosa membrane under your tongue. So your body actually absorbs more of it. Because I've yes, heard and that that's why you need to do that. Most because pills, so if you many. take it, the acid will destroy it before your body can even absorb it. Yeah, twofold problem. <laughs> um, and- I do want to backtrack just for a second because it kind of sounds like you're saying like celery juice is kind of the trick to increase your stomach acid. What are the other things you can do? That's the same thing as doing like lemon water or a pinch of salt with lemon or apple cider vinegar in the morning with water, right? Yes. So there's many ways that you can increase your hydrochloric acid. And yet again, this is about individualized you know, health and wellness here. So if you cannot tolerate celery juice, understanding that the hydrochloric acid production piece of celery is actually highly correlated with improved health. And you can, like you said, you can do um, raw apple cider vinegar, and that actually helps raise hydrochloric acid. You can do bitters, and those are an effective way to increase your hydrochloric acid production. Fermented foods is another way to increase your hydrochloric acid production. And then depending on what's going on with you health-wise, sometimes people to just get a win 
you can actually supplement with hydrochloric acid to just help give people a boost with increasing it to help increase the absorption and digestion of your food to activate the vitamins and minerals that it's essential for. But most importantly, the biggest thing that hydrochloric acid does, it's your number one defense against any bacteria, virus, or parasite. Yeah. So this is why so many people with chronic illness of any kind have low hydrochloric acid is because the door of opportunity is so wide when you do not have your first immune defense functioning at its highest level to prevent you from being overrun with infection. Yeah, that makes all the sense in the world. Like your stomach acid is the first thing that the food or whatever else you consume touches as it goes down your esophagus after you've swallowed. Mm -hmm. And the stomach acid literally is acid. You wouldn't want it sitting on your skin. It would irritate your skin. It it breaks things down. So if a parasite, if you consume a small parasite or bacteria or fungus or different things that aren't supposed to go further past your stomach, that's why we have stomach acid. And it's how we survived for so many centuries. And think about food preparation and how dirty things used to be. Stomach acid was a big part of that. I also think just from what I've experienced, when I travel, I notice that a lot of other cultures really like to use citrus, like lemons and limes squeezed over dishes, even over fresh fruit and fresh salads, like lemon and lime helps aid that protective process. And it also helps with the the hydrochloric acid when you're eating the food. Yes. A lot of other cultures actually help acid production and just digestion in general with how they culturally combine foods and eat foods. And it, it matters, but having digestion conversations for people to understand these little tweaks that they can do that make a difference is why this is so important because you can boost your hydrochloric acid production, and you want to because the symptoms of of low hydrochloric acid um, in the body are so many of the things that people complain about. So simply put, bloating, when someone comes to me and says, oh my gosh, I'm bloating all the time, the first thing you want to look at is, okay, what is your acid production? Because if you are not breaking down your food, you are going to be bloated 24-7 because your food is literally moving out of your stomach undigested, and it's not supposed to do that. And so that's going to wreak havoc on the small intestine, and you're going to feel miserable. How do you um, actually but, test for that? Is it blood work so or is it you a- can, You can actually do um, – they have a, a test for it. It's, it's not run very often because it's very expensive. The simplest way to do it is, one – See how many of the symptoms you have. So, for example, bloating, nausea when taking supplements, uh, burping, heartburn. you get upset. Heartburn is another huge one. Uh, gas is a big one. Diarrhea, your fingernails and your skin have a lot of issues, including weak nails. Um, actually, dilated capillaries on like the nose and the cheeks. If you start to get broken capillaries a lot, that's another sign. Interesting. That- yeah, that low acid is happening. Acne is a huge indicator that you have low acid. And studies have actually shown that people with chronic acne have low hydrochloric acid. Um, iron deficiency is a sign that you are probably low acid because iron, to absorb it properly, you need hydrochloric acid. So if anyone comes to me and says, oh, I've, I've been anemic in the past or I have anemia, 
red flag that there is digestion stuff going on and most likely hydrochloric acid deficiency. Um, and then like food sensitivities is also a red flag for me because again, if you're not breaking down your food well right. and then it's hitting the body and then you're stressing the body, it's probably an indicator that your acid is low. So is there a way to actually test for it that's inexpensive or is it just more about paying attention to the symptoms and kind of treating the symptoms? There is a way. It's, it's a uh, what we would probably call a wives tale method, but I do, <laughs> I do use it with my clients. And then I always say, tell people to use their own best judgment and see how they feel if you would continue doing it. But the simple way, and I actually have a blog up on our website that breaks this down. Okay. And in general, I do usually recommend that people do it under the guidance of a health practitioner because they just help with the nuance of it because, you know, I've done it with hundreds of clients. So depending on what your response is, I can give you a very valuable opinion. But you can do it yourself. You just have to be prepared that the side effect of doing this test is heartburn. Okay. So that's, that's what you're looking out for. And so in general, if you have a history of ulcers or um, a sensitive stomach, then you're going to want to be very careful with this because hydrochloric acid can really irritate ulcers. So I do want to put that asterisk out there. But in general, what you do is you get um, hydrochloric acid capsules and you basically take two before meal and you see if you notice any heartburn etc and then basically what happens with the test to speed it up is you keep working your way up until you find the highest amount you can take that triggers heartburn Got it. and then when when you trigger heartburn then you reduce the amount that you take by one capsule oh, okay and it reveals to you how much acid are you able to tolerate? Like I've had some people be able to go up to 20 capsules of hydrochloric acid before they feel any burning in their stomach. Wow. It's true though that low acid production can also cause heartburn though, right? So what if heart, like if heartburn's a common symptom for you, that could also be a sign that you have a low hydrochloric acid production problem, right? Yes. Um, in general, if you have a heartburn problem, you most likely are not making enough acid because, again, acid is essential for the lower sphincter of the stomach to know when to open and release the chyme from the stomach out into the small intestine. And if your body is not, doesn't have a low enough pH in the stomach to signal that opening, your, your food's just going to keep building up Got and it. moving up towards your esophagus. And so actually when you research this, and I always encourage everyone to do their own research, um, many people talk about the fact that obviously in the pharmaceutical industry, we are always just suppressing acid, right. which is that was causing these health question. issues. <laughs> it's absolutely causing these health issues. Proton pump and, inhibitors and like yes. sodium bicarbonate tablets and things like that. It's awful. And you should also know that you are not supposed to be on those long term, despite what your doctor is telling you. Please Google that and research that I yourself. I think the package insert itself says don't take it for longer it. than 14 days. Yes, it and says it. Like and that's like protonics, pepsid, famotidine, all of those things. Yeah, it's so it's there. It's on there. But we're taught to, again, ignore that. But secondly, there wasn't a lot of money to be made. You couldn't patent at that time ways to raise hydrochloric acid. So they instead decided to focus on ways you could reduce acid. Oh, and it just caused so many other problems. Yes. That's because so this is, this is um, a huge 
huge component to long-term health. And I know in my own health journey, I was extremely low acid, um, had all of these issues. And once I started to work on my body being able to create hydrochloric acid again, so many of my symptoms improved and got better. Because again, I think an important point to also know is that you can heal this. Yeah. Like you can help your body reproduce hydrochloric acid the way that it should. And you can and do it without pharmaceuticals even. Like you don't really need the hydrochloric acid tablet unless you're having really severe issues. There's so many just ingredients yeah. in your kitchen. Right. Some of the ones we already mentioned, besides the fact that the biggest one uh, for affecting this is stress. Mm-hmm. So when your body is highly stressed, hydrochloric acid is actually not released the way that it should be. Because when your body is stuck in fight or flight mode, simply put, your body shuts down the release of hydrochloric acid. And so working on your stress response in general is going to improve your acid release. And so it's really, really important if you're like, if you are nodding your head to all the symptoms associated with low acid, one of the biggest freest things that you can do is saying, okay, I need to evaluate what I consider urgent and important all the time that I'm always in fight or flight mode and what are self-care practices that you can start to do that are going to help decrease your stress response. Because let's be real, stress is not only causing low stomach acid. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, because we got very specific there. Stress is linked to almost every health condition. You name it, it can be linked to it somehow because it causes a cascade of issues within the body. And we live in a stressful world. We live in a stressful environment. This conversation in itself can trigger stress just listening to it because you might mm-hmm. be thinking, oh, wait, that's me or I have that or every little thing we get exposed to throughout the day can trigger stress. It's within you how you respond to things, how you cope, what you do with your downtime to take care of yourself, whether it's a bubble bath or going for a walk or taking a yoga class or meditating for 10 minutes a day. There's so many, there's so many outlets taking care of your stress should be number one priority for you above all else, way before you pull out a juicer to make celery juice. Yes. But, uh, and and then on top of that, just being aware of how much fluid you drink with meals because yeah. just drowning your stomach in water or milk or soda with your food is going to diminish Talk the about intuitive eating. I've never liked drinking water while eating. But I can't tell you how many times I've been at meals with people and they're like, do you want any water? You haven't had any water. Do you, do you want this? Or like if a waiter asked me if I want a drink with my meal, I'm like, actually, I'm fine. I'm okay. And Mm -hmm. it shocks people. I really have never been someone who needs to drink anything. I, I drink a lot of water during the day, but with meals, I actually enjoy not drinking at all because I also don't like the way it feels if I drink more than one glass of water close to or during a meal. I feel uncomfortable, and I, and I know that part about of why. myself. Yeah, yeah, because dem- you you notice that decrease in your digestive ability, yeah. like you're that in tune. Yeah. And so it's not you never drink water, or please, you know, don't think right. you have to choke <laughs> on your food, right? Because that's where everyone always goes when I tell them you know, try and watch your water intake with meals. They're like, but I, but I get dry mouth, or what if something gets stuck? And it's like, no, please, <laughs> you can have it available. <laughs> yeah, take care of yourself, but just be mindful of if you're gulping and just consuming lots of liquids, then that that's diminishing 
your digestive ability. And ice water is even worse for you during a meal. I absolutely, if a waiter brings me a glass of ice water, I probably won't touch it at all. Or if I'm thirsty, I'll actually be that pain in the, you know what, and ask for a glass without ice. Yeah, so I, I just, I love room temperature water or even slightly warm, like a glass of warm water with lemon is great with a meal. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, ice water is a big component to that as well. And then I think uh, another thing, because again, it's about understanding how to do this without just celery juice is eating too many carbohydrates. So having a carbohydrate-centric diet is also going to decrease your output because starches don't really need hydrochloric acid to be broken down. And so if your body isn't sensing enough protein, which is what you do need to release hydrochloric acid, then it's going to diminish the output of hydrochloric Mm -hmm. acid. And this is a big thing that I see, especially with anyone who's doing um, the vegan diet is so many people are like, oh, my heartburn went away when I started eating vegan. And this is one of I I struggle with the knowledge that I have and understanding the important component to that statement because they're so proud of it. And what what they actually did was just Band-Aid a low hydrochloric acid production problem. They took away the the messenger, which is protein, especially in, in meat form, of being able to say, your body is not making enough of this, which is why when you eat meat, you get heartburn or digestive distress because your body is not producing enough hydrochloric acid to break it down. And so by just taking meat out and removing it, you're not fixing the problem, you're band-aiding it. And this is yet one of the many reasons why a lot of vegans that I work with come to see me around, you know, year three to seven, in between those years, where suddenly (laughs) they're sicker than dogs. And it's because if you continue to have low hydrochloric acid output, you're going to be exposed to a lot of bugs. Like suddenly you're going to have bacterial infection, potentially overgrowth in your gut, because you have low hydrochloric acid output. Besides the fact that you're not activating vitamins and minerals the way that you should. And so it's looked at as such this amazing thing that they did for their body when in fact, it's actually a giant red flag. If you're one of those people where meat or you know meat in general gives you heartburn or indigestion, It's not that your body doesn't like those things. It's that you have a root problem, which is low hydrochloric acid production that actually needs to be worked on because it is going to bring other chronic health issues along with it. Yeah, that's huge. It's so huge. And you can, I'm sure you could hear my passion on it because my, my heart hurts when I overhear conversations where someone's telling me, you know, I went vegan and I feel amazing. don't heartburn anymore. And then they're so attached to it. And, and, you know, basically on the diet high, you even trying to say something nicely about explaining the connection of that. Yeah, it's not going to happen. You know, oh, it's, and it's, it's a whole defense mechanism, too. Because like we said at the beginning of the last episode, like there's food camps, there's defense that comes along with doing that fad thing and kind of fitting yeah. into a group in a certain way of doing things. And mm-hmm. you have like we talked about, lost all intuition and you're following rules based off of a group that you have heard from. You know, like Mm -hmm. people made these rules that you're now deciding to follow without actually paying attention to how those rules are actually making you feel. 
Yes, you got to ask how it's working. And I, and I always tell everyone, starting with rules, sometimes rules are needed for people to be motivated and to start. Yeah. And that's not a bad thing. It becomes a bad thing when perfection comes into play and not listening to when your body's saying, you know what, an egg sounds really good. And you're like, nope, can't eat an egg because I'm vegan. And it keeps asking and you keep ignoring. And eventually, for many, many people, problems arise yeah. because in we wanting have to that stick. egg, it could be your body wanting just fat calories. It could be your body wanting vitamin A. It could be so many things. Like our bodies know so much. Our, our brains talk our bodies out of it. And we decide in our head what is right for us when really we just need to kind of step back, be a little bit more skeptical of all the food rules and do what feels right for us. Yes. That doesn't, that's not saying like you crave a box of donuts, go binge on a box of donuts. (laughs) That's like a carbohydrate addiction. Bad and there's nutrient deficiencies involved with that. There's things involved with it. And when you can, we need to have conversations about cravings too, because when you can understand them, that too empowers you to understand, oh, it's not just about the donut. Yeah. It's my body's way of communicating that it actually needs some specific nutrition. Yeah. And that's really important too. And with or the- calories. Sometimes we're just straight up calorie deficient because one, oh. we had a stressful day and our body burned through more than we typically do. Maybe you did a little bit more activity than you typically do. Maybe it was hotter outside. Like there's so many components that goes into every day. Like you were talking about the children that are breastfed or bottle fed. They mm-hmm. push their meal away when they're full and they have different needs caloric needs on a daily basis even though you think they're just laying in a bed sling sleeping crying pooping and eating there's different caloric needs depending on what growth is happening in the body what their Mm -hmm. metabolism was like that day you know those are all the things we forget about and sometimes when I find myself like craving a giant bowl of cereal at the end of the night or ice cream after dinner I can typically think about it. I'll still eat it. Don't get me wrong. Like if I want that and once I start thinking about it, like there's no going back. I just have to do it. Mm -hmm. But I personally can connect it to be like, whoa, like I got too busy and I only ate half my lunch or I actually never ate my breakfast or I ate breakfast, but it probably wasn't enough for everything that I did today. Oh, oh yeah, I worked out really hard at the gym. I probably should have come home and had a little something extra, but I got too busy. There's a lot of factors yes. of why you would crave mm-hmm. certain things. And it's not always just like your body knows that it needs vitamin A. <laughs> right. No, Sometimes no, it no. just straight up needs calories to stay alive. Yes. And that it doesn't necessarily mean that you're a sugar addict. Right. I think that's important to emphasize yeah, too. Let because go of the guilt. <laughs> let go. Yes. Oh my goodness. We need to have a whole conversation about that. <laughs> I think that's what the next episode's probably trending into as we go. Yeah. <laughs> really. It's such an important conversation. So, like with the celery, please do not eat celery out of guilt. <laughs> do not, because like we're talking about, there are specific nutrients and compounds and celery that can be found in other foods and you can eat those other foods and if those are the foods that light you up and give you joy and you actually want to eat them then that's what you should be eating do you have a few other foods at the top of your mind that you could put out there that can give people a variety of foods that have similar nutrition 
Yeah, so a lot of the different compounds that are found in this, I would say with the spectrum of looking at trying to reduce inflammation, trying to enhance water intake, trying to enhance vitamin and mineral intake, apples are a really great one as far as the inflammatory compounds that they give. Um, doing some leafy greens, and it doesn't have to be kale, it can be arugula, it can be romaine. They're not only giving you water, but they're also, again, giving you a, a large spectrum of vitamins and minerals that you wouldn't otherwise be getting in your diet. Mm -hmm. And then blueberries is a really great one for the antioxidant components that celery is providing. Any berry, really. Like if you can bring yeah. berries in, that's going to be enhancing that. But then as far as, especially like the skin components that it, this is giving, you want to try and do some, some vegetables or even fruits that have some fat-soluble vitamins in them. So like sweet potatoes is a really great example of getting a good source of vitamin A. And or carrots, again, a good source of vitamin A, but it also does have a lot of the similar anti-inflammatory compounds that celery does. And in general, by doing all those different foods, you're increasing your variety besides just getting the celery. I think one of the big, huge things to point out with celery is that it does give a massive hit as far as vitamin K. And leafy greens are a really good source of vitamin K. Yeah, almost all dark green leafy greens, I think you could Have say, it. are a great source of it. Yes. And, but drinking the celery juice is really hitting especially that specific nutrient pretty heavily. And so if you're responding really well, that means in general, your body probably really needed some vitamin K. And again, looking at skin health, vitamin K is really needed for that and gut health. And so eat your leafy greens. Like, and when we're talking about these nutrients, please do also go and Google, you know, what foods are high in vitamin K. If none of those spoke to you, Find the list and pick out ones that do speak to you. Because yeah. again, it's about making it work for you. Don't just, don't just shut down and say, oh, I, I hate arugula. Like I'm, I'm never going to touch that. It's bitter. Or it tastes terrible to me. Well, first of all, taste buds change and you can grow to love certain things. You I know really we can. Absolutely. You really can. But I think the big thing is with change, you have to make it something that is not hard. And so if arugula sounds hard, please just start with romaine. Mm -hmm. It's a neutral flavor. It gets you in the habit of eating something raw, something with lots of water. It has a little bit of good nutrition in it. And if that is something that you can wrap your mind around, then that's where you need to start. Don't get stuck trying to do something that seems very hard to you because yeah. it will derail you from taking care of yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I think, honestly, guys, like she said, look up other things with vitamin K, but that's on a that's a deeper level like if you're that type of person and you need to know like what's in the food that you're eating that's great it's a great way to become familiar with the nutrition and the foods that you're eating but if you're sticking to a variety of fresh fruits and vegetables on a daily basis and you're switching it up every now and then you're learning how to cook new and fun recipes that you can really rely on for your work week and different things that's all you really need to focus on heavy mm -hmm. on the produce section when you're in the grocery store staying away from the inner aisles and the processed packaged foods as much as possible like the real nutrition comes from the variety of the fruits and vegetables that are coming from the farm and then obviously the grains nuts seeds meats all of that it's all part of a balanced diet 
but it doesn't have to be a difficult science experiment. And I think like we've said again and again, people really like rules and they like direction and they like being told to drink 16 ounces of fresh celery juice every morning. But there's so many other ways of getting equal, if not better nutrition by eating a variety of foods every day. It's Mm -hmm. real food. That's where the solutions are. Everyone wants a quick fix, a magic pill. And honestly, it's just about the long-term daily habits of learning to love and enjoy and appreciate the foods that you're eating. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I, you know <laughs> what? I think with that, I have to jump in. And because I know we've probably been talking a, a, a while now. And I <laughs> we probably like should to, wrap it up soon. <laughs> yes. So with that being said, I want to focus for as quickly as possible on a couple of things that I think everyone needs to be aware of as far as celery and how it can not be your friend. Yeah. And one of the big things that most people are, are unaware of is that celery is actually a fairly common allergy for a lot of people, especially people of European or French descent. It's actually a high allergic reaction that can happen. And it's important to know that this allergic reaction can turn into an anaphylactic reaction. So... Be very mindful of if you've ate celery in the past and you've noticed skin itching or your mouth swelled a little bit or your tongue swelled, you definitely don't want to start juicing celery juice or (laughs) or putting that in your body because it could create an extreme allergic response. Um, So I think it's something that most people must be made aware of is that celery juice can actually trigger an anaphylactic reaction. Yeah, I'd say that's pretty important. (laughs) (laughs) And then the other thing that I want to make sure people are aware of is that when you start consuming a large quantity of celery, there is actually a compound in celery that will make you photosensitive to the sun. And we're going into summer and people are going to be out at the beach and it can make you burn more easily if you go out into the sun. Interesting. Yes. And so if you are suddenly noticing that you don't tolerate the sun as well or that you're burning and you're like, I never used to burn like this and you're consuming celery juice on a daily basis, it is definitely most likely connected. And you are going to if you're someone that's out in the sun a lot during the summer, you're going to want to be careful with how much celery you're eating. That'll sure. be eye-opening for some people, I'm sure, that listen to this that might have been doing it for a year now, and this may be the first summer where it's like loaded in their system. It'll be interesting to hear if anybody has that experience. Yeah, I actually had a client who, she had email and she's like, I don't know what's wrong, I'm burning, I, I, <laughs> I'm in the sun, and what do I need to do? And she was actually asking for some topical, some natural topical treatments, but I actually knew that she was doing celery juice, and I was like, hey, heads up you know, this is connected. And she, she had a complete aha moment when she was like, okay, I need to cut back because she loves the sun and vitamin D is really important for long-term health too. And so it's just the season you're in, right? It's more doable at higher quantities in the winter, probably less doable in the really high quantities in the summer. Um, So with that being said, be mindful of that, just pay attention. And then the other thing that I think everyone should be made aware of is that celery does contain phytoestrogen. And so simply put, that's natural plant compound that acts a little bit like a synthetic estrogen in your body. Similar to like soybeans, right? Correct. Exactly. Exactly the same compound. And so again, this actually could be beneficial depending on 
if you are having hormone issues and what those are. But for example, if you have a high estrogen issue, this might not be something that you want to be doing. It could be beneficial. It could not. But I, I can't really speak to balancing your specific hormone issue with phytoestrogens because yeah. it's so unique to each right. person because it could be really beneficial for someone with yeah. high estrogen, but there's so many factors involved. Simply put, it's just really important for people to know that celery has this. And so if you start going hog wild on celery and you start noticing period changes or lots of different hormone symptoms that it definitely could be correlated. Yeah. And I mean, hormone balance is a huge conversation right now. Just in general, I would say it's like almost becoming like the new microbiome gut health conversation. And honestly, guys, hormone balance is not something you want to mess around with. And if you have not had your levels checked and you haven't had blood work within the last few years, it's something you should know where you stand. And it was one of the first episodes in this podcast when we talked about the importance of preventative health visits and whether or not you're having severe symptoms or no symptoms at all. You should still be seeking out preventative health visits with your doctor and just sitting down for an annual physical, getting blood work. I mean, a hormone panel is not going to be on the radar of a traditional Western medicine physician, but if you're working with naturopaths or functional medicine doctors or even somebody like Jen that's more on the holistic side of the wellness world, you are definitely going to get hormone balance panels checked in a deeper conversation. You could probably ask your primary care Western medical doctor to check the levels in your experience, Jen, will they, if you're not having symptoms? No. In yeah. my experience, they push back heavily. Yeah. You're going to have to fight. You ha- I, some people can. Like if you're really good at fighting for yourself <laughs> and creating the argument. I mean, I had to happen. beg my doctor to check my B12 level after a year yeah. of supplementation. So I think asking for a hormone panel, that's like a whole nother level unless you're having specific hormone Hormone. issues and period issues and fertility issues. Even then though, I mean, I have clients where, you know, they have endometriosis and they have lost periods. Oh, and they still won't. So in that case, if that's you, that's a bigger conversation to be had. And that's something you need to look into investing in your health and maybe seeking out a naturopath, functional medicine. It's worth it. If you're not getting help in the conventional setting. You need a little deeper, <laughs> deeper And work. it's the best money you will ever yeah. spend. Oh, absolutely. It's just so worth it. It was the it most really expensive is. year of my life yeah. <laughs> in 2016, <laughs> but it was the most eye-opening when it came to really understanding what was going on in my body. And I could actually make actionable changes and measure them. If yes. you're just playing around with supplements and adaptogens and food trends, you're not really able to measure what's happening in your body if you're not having those conversations. Yes. I really, you know, I used to be much more, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll work with your symptoms as long as you understand that we are throwing darts. And now I've been doing it long enough where it really is test, don't guess, because you lose, and I know this personally, you can lose years yep. of your life guessing instead of just testing and actually seeing on paper oh it's that and <laughs> it it's just so worth it if you are able to figure out how to make it affordable for yeah. you it really is 100 um i had one other 
downfall of celery that I wanted to share real fast. Yes. Um, when I was doing research, I wrote a blog post on this about, I think at the beginning of this year, guys, because I was just getting a lot of conversations from my, re- or a lot of questions from my readers, what my perspective on celery juice was mm-hmm. as a nurse. Um, and one of the most eye-opening things I came across was there's a chemical compound, a natural chemical compound in celery. I can't remember what it's called right now. Um, but I'll link to the information that I found in the show notes. There's a compound that is similar to a compound, or it might even be the same compound that is highly concentrated in grapefruit juice that is mm-hmm. known to interact with prescription medications. And when I came across this research, I was like, oh, I wonder what prescription medications is. I can make a quick list and share it with my readers. This list was over four pages long. It's ridiculous how many prescription medications are highly affected by this compound. And when you're drinking, again, a glass of juice, you're drinking three times a stock of celery, you're getting a lot of this compound and it's highly concentrating these prescription medications in your body from SSRIs, antidepressant medications, to opioids, to hormonal things. There's a lot of medications. So if you are somebody who's on any sort of prescription medication, I highly recommend you just scroll down to the details of the show notes and click over. I'll make the link really accessible to you. It's a four-page PDF. You should know what medications celery juice could be affecting, as well as grapefruit juice. Mm -hmm. That's my rant. Did you have anything else you wanted to share? Oh, I have a whole list. We, 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 it would be another half hour. So I'm going to be putting all of this into a blog up on She Changes Everything Perfect. so you can read all of the points and the extras that we didn't get to because it's, there's, it's just compelling information. Yeah. And again, knowledge is power and understanding why celery juice is having benefits, but also why you can make other choices and figuring out what works for you is also really important is what this whole conversation is about. Yeah. So you can go check that out and read more about everything that we didn't get to. <laughs> if you're just dying for more information because... <laughs> yes, because, it, I mean, the nerd in me just absolutely yeah. loves how Hopefully everything correlates. Hopefully you guys correlates. are nerds too if you're, yeah. if you're here with us. Yeah, so, but we we loved to talk. I had so much fun talking to yeah. you about no, celery. And I feel like we hope that it really helped you guys to be inspired to one, sure, go ahead and try it. But two, to also be inspired to try new things and to research, yeah. you know, more things that See may the bigger help picture. your health. Yes. Yeah, I have definitely become more of a skeptic. The more I've learned about food and nutrition and the health trends and the fad diets, I am a skeptic above all else. And not even to a fault. Like I just like to ask why a million times until I feel like it truly is the thing that works for me. But really, Mm -hmm. I I don't fall into any category other than having to be gluten-free because gluten makes me miserable. And that's not by choice. That's just Mm -hmm. what my body tells me. And other than that, I just enjoy real whole foods. And I, I love cooking and playing in the kitchen. And that's helped me appreciate the food that I'm eating even more. So, mm-hmm. well, thank you, Jen. Thank you for being here. And you guys definitely can connect more with Jen at SheChangesEverything.com and on social media, She Changes Everything. What's your um, personal account? It's 
Jennifer Klutz, so K-L-O-T-Z, and then underscore R-D. For a registered dietitian. Yes. Um, so connect with her there. She shares some great information. Her Instagram captions do not get the love that they deserve. She is a wealth <laughs> of information when it comes to sharing all things holistic nutrition and wellness. So definitely check her out and even connect with her in person at the upcoming She Days. They're going across the country, Orange County, Nashville, Chicago, Los Angeles, all year. 2019 be sure to check out those events as well they're they're a game changer for sure so that wraps up this two-part episode i hope you guys enjoyed every minute of it and we will be back soon thanks jen 